Welcome back to a brand new episode of Conversations with Coley. I am author Nicole Miller of the book series A through Z Guide to Raising a Good Human, a series I'm writing to bridge the gap in communication between parents and children of all ages, tackling all topics, especially those tough subjects. Thank you for joining me and my guests as they share their experience and how they turned it around to improve their lives. For the next hour, spend time listening to our conversation about some of the most arduous situations or moments when all hope felt lost. But instead of giving up, they pushed through. Today I'm talking with Gen- Jennifer D'Amato, intuitive eating counselor. Jennifer helps moms heal their relationship with food and body through her podcast, The Intuitive Eating Mama. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited. So let's start with our icebreaker question. What is your favorite part about Valentine's Day? Oh, my favorite part about Valentine's Day? Um, I would have to say we have this long running tradition. My husband does anyway. When we were dating, we had a long distance relationship for the first year and a half and he sent me roses. And so now every year he still sends me roses on Valentine's Day and I still get like giddy and excited about it. And then when we had our daughters, we have four daughters, he gets roses for all of them as well. So Aww. I'd say that's probably my favorite part. That's cute. I love it. I love Valentine's Day. <laughs> so tell everybody who doesn't know about your podcast. Yeah. So I, I've had a podcast actually, this is season four. I mean, we're headed into the like 160 plus episode realm here and, um, it's gone through a couple transformations. Um, and the reason it's the intuitive eating mama is because I am (laughs) the intuitive (laughs) eating mama. Um, and most of the women that I, I talk with that I work with are moms. And they're really wanting to break that diet cycle for themselves, but also for future generations, for their kids, for future grandkids, and some of them for their current grandkids. So it really felt so in line when I renamed my podcast and focused solely on intuitive eating that I would really be the intuitive eating mama for those who are, you know, looking for that space. I think so many women didn't have a mom even in their life you know, who wasn't dieting. I mean, Mm -hmm. I talk to so many women on a regular basis. They didn't have the intuitive eating mama. They had the Weight Watchers mama, right? Mm -hmm. They had Mm -hmm. the slim fast mama. So really being able to even just be that for those who need that space. I love it. I had the Dexatrim mom. Uh I remember being five years old, my mom cooking me breakfast and having to take her Dexatrim because, you know, Back then, it was pounded down our throats to be skinnier, skinnier. And so, and I think for me, I was the Cybertrim mom. I started mm-hmm. out on Cybertrim drinks, anything that had phenylalanine. When you heard that phenylalanine was bad, then you started doing all these other dieting strategies. So let's talk about what intuitive, being an intuitive eating mama is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, really, I would say very simply put, it is a way to show your body the highest level of self-care. You know, it's also the highest level of trust that you know, not just when you're hungry or when you're full, but you trust your emotions. You trust the, the ability to honor satisfaction 
you know, mm-hmm. that you see value in balance and variety when it comes to your food. You don't talk or judge um, about other bodies or about what yeah. other people are eating. I think that's so key, especially as a mom. You know, I wasn't always the intuitive eating mama <laughs> either. <laughs> and it's such a stark contrast. You know, there's no, you better clear your plate or you can't get up from the table in our home. You know, there's such acknowledgement that you are the expert on you. You mm-hmm. know your body. You know when it's speaking to you. You know, I, I really believe even when it comes to emotional eating, we're talking, you know, Valentine's Day, you've got me thinking about emotions and, you know, we're yeah. not usually ones to judge the positive emotions, like celebrating or love when it comes to food, but we often judge the negative emotional eating. You know, so again, even being able to remove that component, I would say is is key to being the intuitive eating mama. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about like diets and why women especially seem to be judged for their body size or the way, you know, we show up for the world and the way we're judged because we don't go into a hardware store and tell a man with his gut hanging over his pants that he needs to lose a few pounds. But we have had strangers walk up to us and maybe tell us we look pregnant when we're just a little overweight or, you know, maybe you should lose a a few pounds or they validate you extremely like they notice your body size when you're just simply a service person to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I definitely think we're hearing more and more that males are experiencing a lot of shame and judgment around their body. We're even hearing it's finally starting to be heard about men experiencing eating disorders and disordered eating that was has really been under the surface. It's I mean, mm-hmm. it's been happening. The reason I, I, I you know, I guess I don't have a, a total reason of why that's happening. It's been happening since, Forever. you know, history, history, well before you and I ever walked mm-hmm. this earth, you mm-hmm. know, but, but the standard has changed. The standard has changed. You know, if you go back, historically speaking, curves were beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, having a larger body was actually seen as a sign of wealth and um, prestige. You know, you had money and influence because you could provide for yourself, you know, to where, Mm -hmm. you know, we enter the 1990s where heroin chic was the thing, right? Everybody was wanting, still wanting to look like Twiggy, if not worse, you know, where Mm -hmm. you could see bones on their body. The standard is always changing. And the problem really is that we're trying to chase something that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's always moving. We can't seem to keep up with it. Now, I, I just talked about this whole idea of people coming and making comments, right? About your body to you, maybe even about what you're eating. Mm -hmm. I actually think the shift that's happened in the last, I'd say 10 to 15 years is because of social media. I, I personally believe the reason more people are saying things out loud is because they've been saying them behind a screen, but, you know, hiding behind their phone, making these comments and it's become what appears to be socially acceptable. It is not acceptable to make comments about what someone's eating, to make comments about someone's body. But I think one of the biggest contributors to that increase, to that, what looks like boldness, which is just really um, rude and unnecessary behaviors and, and words, 
is because social media almost has encouraged this lack of filter. Mm-hmm. That's and again, that's a personal observation. I think but- that's a pretty accurate op- observation actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I can get on board with that because that makes the most sense. I've actually been part of um you know, being a server for 10 years of my life and starting out and having customers say, can I have the skinny waitress? Or, oh, you know, you would look much better if you would just lose a little weight around the middle or getting, making those comments so often that it affected my eating and the way I perceived myself that I got body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. And then I went the other way. So suddenly now these same people five years later are going, what's wrong? Where are all your curbs? Oh my well, goodness. I mean, if it wasn't for the commentary every morning at my job. Wow. I'm like that, like my entire like body is responding to that, you know, and, and it's relatable because when I was deeply entrenched in diet culture and disordered eating, um, I, I really ended up suffering with orthorexia. So that is just mm-hmm. that obsessiveness on health, right? I mean, mm-hmm. everything, everything, everything was tracked. Everything was measured. It was nonstop from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. And <laughs> the time I was sleeping was very short because everything was about getting in the next workout, you know, doing all of these things in the name of health. And while I was in this really horrendous, unhealthy place, mentally, emotionally, physically, like every aspect of my, my being was unhealthy. I was at the smallest I'd ever been. And the constant comments, you look so amazing. You're so inspiring. Look at how much weight you've lost. Wow. You're getting so skinny. Wow. It's amazing what you're doing for your body it kept me in that disordered place much longer. I think than I may have, you know, we, we like to hear good things. You Mm -hmm. know, I love, I get feedback from my podcast because I laugh at myself all the time. I mean, honest to goodness, I'm just that person, you know, when I'm talking and I'd like to be a little bit lighthearted while we're delivering some heavy things sometimes. And to me, like having a compliment, like, Oh, I love hearing you laugh. Like, Oh, it feels good. Right. You know, I I think anytime like, oh, that outfit that, oh my gosh, you put that together. Your hair looks great today. Like we love those things. So unfortunately we internalize those messages, good or bad. And they end up possibly leading us into a really bad place, which for me with orthorexia, that's what it was. You know, I, I hadn't really ever experienced prior to that negative body comments other than my own, other than my internalized issues with my own body that was like a, you know, record player just spinning round and round in my head. It wasn't until I was in deep disordered eating that those comments, I mean, they started, they started to have an effect on me that ultimately led me to a complete breakdown. You know, it was never enough. It was, I was never be skinny enough. It was never going to be enough weight loss. And honestly, what I couldn't see was all of the other issues that were being created. My digestive issues, my hormone issues, my thyroid issues, my hair falling out, uh, my sex drive being gone. I mean, there was mm-hmm. so many issues, but yet these comments were so validating, like, oh, but I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm, right. I'm fitting in, I'm being accepted mm-hmm. yet falling apart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how did that 
kind of affect you? And what was that aha moment where you were like, okay, I need to stop the diet train and get healthy? Yeah. You know, the blessing of having a close relationship with my daughters, and this is years ago, so they were still pretty young. My oldest um, had looked at me one day and she's like, mom, you're so tired all the time. Like you take a nap every day. That's so weird. That mm -hmm. one comment is still to this day, like it's a marker for me that I went, oh my gosh, I am. Like I'm taking a nap. I, I can't function throughout the day. Part of, I mean, I was getting up at 3.30 in the morning some days to go work out because I needed to fit in a three-hour workout that day. I mean, wow. that's where that's I was. It, was. it was obsessive. I wanted to close those Apple rings before 8 a.m. I mean, that was a, what my, my thought process was. And then when she made that comment, it was kind of like it peeled back this layer and it didn't happen all, you know, all of a sudden and I was done, but I started to view things differently where my kids were eating food that I wasn't eating. Mm -hmm. And I start, I, I had them taking my progress photos, which of course, looking back makes my entire heart break. But it was again, that wake up call where I started seeing that going, what am I, what am I doing? What am I right. showing them? And it was the thing that ultimately led me to reopen the book I had already read, which was Intuitive Eating. Um, Evelyn and Elise, you know, wrote this book back in the 90s. You know, some people forget that, that this, this book was written so long ago. Right. And I had read it, but I had read it from a disordered thought process. You know, disordered eating is because we have these disordered thoughts, whether it's about food or about our body, usually both. And I reread it and went, I was so far off the mark. And it, and it, for me, it wasn't just changing, you know, myself. I had a business I was running, helping other women, you know, healthy habits and change their life. Weight loss was never the focus. It just was kind of the underlying thing. Mm -hmm. I literally stopped everything. I had to pivot, not just my own life, but my entire business. So it was kind of this very um, slow trickle at first. And then of course, once you get that slow trickle going, the waterfall gushed. And of course it led me into pursuing becoming an intuitive eating counselor, actually trained under Evelyn, one of the co-authors of intuitive eating. And it just kind of snowballed from there. Nice. Nice. So what do you say to people who right now may be looking at themselves and saying, hey, I need to make some improvements in my, you know, weight or my health for my body? Um, what do you say to them when they are doing all the things, they're doing the eating, they're doing the exercise, um, but they're looking for that right now progress? What do you say to those people? Yeah, I'd say, of course, you feel the way you do about your body, right? That it's not enough or it's not, you know, the way it should be. And I'm saying should with air quotes, like all right. over the place, right? Right. Um, because you're bombarded with messages. You're bombarded with messages that your body needs to change. You're bombarded with messages that health and weight are synonymous when they are not. Right. Health and weight are not the same thing. You can be healthy at any weight. You can be any weight and be un unhealthy. Like it, it, they're not these equated terms. Um, and so for me, I'd say, really, what is it you deeply desire? 
Because I think when we get to the root of it, sometimes it's, I want to be okay with my own body. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be comfortable. I want to feel confident. Mm -hmm. And we think the, the path to get there is pursuing weight loss. And unfortunately, pursuing weight, intentional weight loss. I'm not saying you're not valid for wanting to lose weight and I'm not anti weight loss. Right. I'm anti intentional weight loss, right? Which requires restriction and which is dieting. And that's the like leading cause of weight gain is going on a diet. I mean, right. tracking your own history proves that time and time again. So yeah. I'd say you're valid for feeling that way. But could you be open to defining health without weight? There's so many other aspects of health that you really can look at as a metric that has nothing to do with your weight. And, and maybe right. for you, it's, it is looking at your mental health. Maybe for you, it's looking at your blood sugar and cholesterol. I mean, there's so many other metrics that actually are better gauges of health than your weight is. Yeah, that is so true. Because I think a lot of times the reason why people who are on a healthier journey give up and they go back to binging, if binging's a thing, is because they're looking at those numbers. I do it myself. When I was trying to lose weight, I did, I hopped on the Noom and the Vegan and the Atkins and all the things. And I never saw the needle moving. Sometimes I saw it moving the wrong direction. And mm. I would freak out and I would track my progress by that number. And then I would either give up or go binge some more or fall back into that unhealthy pattern. So when people are obsessing too much, how do they switch that mindset or how do they recognize they're doing it? Well, I think it's hard to recognize. I, I do. I think because yeah. because of the praise, especially when it comes to orthorexia, obsessive health behaviors, it's really it's hard to recognize how disordered dieting is because of the messages you hear. So one thing I always encourage women to do is change your social media feed. Mm -hmm. Start listening to some things that might seem different <laughs> than what you've been exposed to. You know, it's, it's part of the reason where you, you know, full well, putting on a podcast, putting information out there, doing this every week is a lot of work. But if it means one woman, one woman hears that message and goes, Oh my goodness, something's got to change. You know, so when I talk to women, whether it's on social media, they're my clients is kind of taking a look at what you're being exposed to. Like what information are you hearing mm -hmm. on a daily basis? And first start there, just start mm -hmm. checking in with that. You know, do you have these internalized fat phobia messages, right? You know, where you're just, you're really judgmental of larger bodies. Where does that come from? Why do you have that? You know, yeah. where, what are, what have you been taught that you might not believe, but you've just been going with because it's been the way it's always been. Yeah, absolutely. So who are your target people? Who are you looking for to listen to your podcast, take your classes? Who are you speaking to? Yeah. So like I said, I mean, I do most often work with moms, but those moms, their age range is anywhere from 35 to 60, you know, and some of those moms have grown children out of the home. Um, and some of them still have, you know, preteens, young ones in the house. Um, it really is just women who are done with dieting. They're done but they, they don't know what to do next. 
You know, I think we often get in that place, right? We've been dieting for so long. We've been following the trends, trying all these things that without it, we don't even know what to eat. Mm -hmm. So really it's women who go, okay, yeah, this sucks. I don't want to diet anymore, but I don't know what to do. And I, I stress around food. I feel guilty when I eat certain foods. I feel overwhelmed at the idea of going out to eat, ordering food, like I do experience those that what you were sharing restriction to binge. And even if you don't qualify it as a binge, it's this overeating, right? I feel out of control around food. That's who I help break down those food rules, make peace with all foods to be able to become that expert that I was talking about earlier. Like really believe like I am the expert on me. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the thing that I think we need to all wrap our minds around is that we are the expert for ourselves. Now, as moms and grandmothers, how do we change how we show up to our young, impressionable girls that we keep bringing into the world and kind of We're getting, we're sucking them into our patterns. I had the Dexatrim mom. I became the Cybertrim mom who became the over-exerciser as well. How do we show up differently for those girls coming into the world now? Yeah, I do think that it's, it's nuanced. I think it's well-involved. I think it's a, a journey that you're on. But I think if you can start somewhere, it's really to as best you can stop making comments. Not no more comments about, you know, are you really going to eat all that? Aren't you full already? Haven't you had enough? You need to eat, you know, you need to eat more even, you know, that side of the spectrum or making comments about their body. I think if you can start there in not making those comments and when you do have grace for yourself, but maybe apologize, like, I'm sorry, like, I didn't mean to say that. Go ahead. You're fine. Mm -hmm. um, you can get curious, you know, especially when it comes to our own kids but making those judgments, I think, is a great place to start is not making those anymore. And that in and of itself might take some time because you've been in this pattern. You you literally heard the messages and you're just passing them along. But I think that's a great place to start because what we do when we make the judgments and the questioning is they're starting to question themselves. They internalize those messages and they grow up to be women who question themselves around food all the time. So if you can stop that, which is something that shifted in my home completely years ago, my kids don't question it. I don't question them. They don't question yeah. themselves. And it's so amazing to watch these four preteen teenage girls, very different from my experience growing up, where they really do trust when they're hungry, when they're full, if they like something, if they don't, they have such variety and balance. And all of those, any, any judgmental comments, observations, any of that has been taken out. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think of toddlers too. Like toddlers just know what they want and they, they let you know. Oh, <laughs> and to toddlers are the best intuitive eaters. Unfortunately, even toddlers, you know, I can remember when my, my oldest couple of girls were toddlers. Of course, I was still deeply entrenched in diet culture and it was you had to clear your plate they mm. start hearing those messages think about how early on even toddlers do hear those messages of you need to eat everything put in front of you yeah. you know so they start again we we 
we in help them internalize messages we don't want them to internalize. But yes, yeah. I think observing, you know, little ones before any of those messages have come in, they're the best. And they're the best intuitive eaters always say, you know, they're when they're hungry, they they know. And when yeah. they're satisfied and done, they, they're done. they move on. They mm -hmm. don't experience food guilt. They have enough energy to trash your house, which is <laughs> lovely in and of itself. Um, if they love something, they literally wear it. They love it so much. If they don't like something, they don't waste their time. It's yeah. so amazing. <laughs> so amazing to witness that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that as adults, we need to get more in tune with that type of a mindset. Like, if we love it, wear it. <laughs> yeah, I always tell people, I'm not suggesting you go smear peanut butter on your face or anything like that. I don't think there's any, you know, benefits to your skin <laughs> for peanut butter. But I really do feel, you know, diet culture has us eating foods we don't even enjoy. We've cut out foods that we really, really love. And then we feel guilty if we have them. I mean, and we're not even talking about the internal issues that that causes when you have guilt with what you're eating and all of the stress on our poor digestive system <laughs> that if we could just adopt that. Now, of course, you and I both know that takes a lot of undoing and relearning to get to that place. But man, is it a place of complete freedom and joy with food again? Yeah, absolutely. Because some diets and some regimens to get to get you to lose weight and keep it off are so restrictive. And then I feel like when I'm restricting myself, that's when I want to I want to break the rules even more. Oh, our inner rebel is so strong. <laughs> and what happens at the end of that restriction? As soon as you stop, Unfortunately, what happens is, you know, yes, your metabolism has been completely wrecked, but then all of those foods that you invite back in, you, you start to feel out of control. You feel you, you need to have more of them without even maybe consciously acknowledging what's happening. And on, and the end result usually is gaining that weight back, if not more. Mm -hmm. And then how do you feel? You mm -hmm. beat yourself up. We're not blaming the diet, right? We're not blaming that extreme restriction. We're blaming ourselves, And then we're using food as punishment. We're yeah. punishing ourselves by saying, well, now I can't have this. See, there's something wrong with me. Diet culture tells me I have no willpower. I have no strength to do this. It's me. I'm the problem. When diet culture knows they are the problem. It's why they continually market to sell you the next thing. Mm -hmm. And right now we're seeing this shift where most of the big diet companies are co-opting the language of intuitive eating because they know we're onto them. It's like yes. they know they've been found out. So now they need to tell you that you're going to trust yourself. Now they're going to tell you that it's intuitive. There's nothing intuitive about tracking food. There's nothing intuitive about, you know, measuring food and points and all of these. There's nothing intuitive about that. There's nothing intuitive about saying you can't have something unless you don't like it or you have an allergy and or aversion or, you know, some sort of digestive issue with it. That's not intuitive. And yet these programs, these diets are really using this language to try to get people in. They, they're good at marketing. I mean, we can all mm -hmm. agree they're really, really good at marketing and they have been since the beginning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think people need to research some of these diets and what happens years later. Atkins, the Atkins person died of a heart attack. Keto, I was taught ketosis in nutrition class for nursing was absolutely a no. Mm -hmm. 
And so I was very confused when I started to see these diet fads popping up and people saying, oh, yeah, when you're on the keto diet, you get bad breath and you do this because you're changing your metabolism, you're changing your body's, you know, ability to run properly. And those are bad side effects. And I would look at people and go, I don't think you're supposed to do that. But if it works for you, it works for you. Well, I mean, if you if you want to start researching, the problem with researching is studies are paid for by who wants a certain result. What your best bet is to start looking for meta analysis. I mean, that's really going deep into things because unfortunately, most diet studies and if they promote a study, it's a short term study anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. They are getting a very small sample because a lot of people drop out of those kind of studies and it's short term because the long term effects are going to are going to show you what I'm saying, that mm -hmm. the, the weight's going to be come back. Your metabolism's going to have slowed down. I mean, the emotional, psychological damage that it does. I mean, all of those factors. Hormonal. Hormonal. Like, yeah, I was like hormonal. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many factors. So they're going to have these short term studies that prove the result they want. I mean, follow money, follow where it's coming from, who's, you know, paying for this study and how long was it? Let me just tell you, a year is not a long-term study. Two mm -hmm. years is really not a long-term study. And that's, that's where a lot of the problem comes in is they say, this is, you know, scientifically studied. I'm not saying that it's not, I'm just saying, go look deeper. Is it really how long, long -term? was that? Yeah. How long was that study? I would say between five to seven years is a good jumping off point. I agree. I, I agree. And I actually think that's why I tell women, use yourself, create mm -hmm. a timeline from the time you started dieting to now. It is not a fun exercise. I'm not going to lie. It, it can be a very emotional exercise. Do it when yeah. you're in a really mentally, emotionally healthy place. Like you're having a good day. Not a, This is not an exercise for a bad day. And really, and you might need to do it over several days because it can be really emotionally exhausting and actually build yourself a timeline and Try to recall like what diet did you do? What happened? How long that lasted? What were the end results and what were the long-term results? And then track that next one approximately, you know, well, I did this one the next year. I did this one two years later. I did this one, you know, and look at that because I actually think you are your own proof that they don't work. Because if they work, they would always work. Now, again, you look at that timeline and you probably believed somewhere on that that you were the problem. When in fact, again, I think, taking that bird's eye view, come back up over it and go, wait a minute. If none of these work, it's gotta be these. Mm -hmm. I am who I am. Like I haven't changed this, all, all of these, they don't work. Mm -hmm. And I think that aha is kind of a hard place to be, but also the beautiful beginning of saying, okay, so what does, what, what really does work and getting you back to the point before that timeline started. And for some women, I mean, I've had clients, they started dieting. Their mom took them to Weight Watchers at eight years old. You know, I've had young, young girls, they started with dieting and now they're in their fifties, you know, and they're, they're undoing a lot of messages, mm -hmm. but it did, it took getting to that point to go, this doesn't work, but what does. Right. Kind of programs are you offering for 2023? Yeah. So I do offer a few different programs right now. So I offer one-on-one -on -one private coaching and that's really in-depth work that I'm doing with women who really want to go really deep. 
um, and have that one-on-one -on -one time with me. I also offer group coaching, which is something I love so much. And the women that are in the group love it too, because they have the support, not just of me, you know, the teaching, the tools and all of that, um, but they have one another. And it's so mm -hmm. amazing. I feel like diet culture is so isolating that when you have group together and then you feel like, oh my goodness, other women get me. I call it the head nod effect. And something amazing that happens within the context of group is you're sharing something, you're getting coached on a topic because you still get personalized coaching in group. The other women are nodding their head. And that just makes you feel like I'm not alone mm -hmm. for group coaching. And I only offer that a few times a year um, for when that opens. And then I also have an intuitive eating course. Now, if you're in my group, you have access to the course. If you work with me one-on-one, -on -one, you get the course, but you can also just purchase the intuitive eating course. It's called One Bite at a Time. It is self-paced and women can really just walk through the principles of intuitive eating. So they increase their knowledge and implementation of each of the principles. I love it. I love it. And so how do people find these classes and courses? Yeah, absolutely. So they can head to my website is the best place, of course, www.theintuitiveeatingmama.com. And they'll find all of that. I also hang out on Instagram doing all the things and they can find me Jennifer underscore intuitive eating life. I love it. I love it. And when do the, when can everyone um, tune into your podcast? When do you <laughs> Yeah, I release episodes every single Tuesday um, on the Intuitive Eating Mama podcast. And of course, it can be found on any platforms that you're already listening to podcasts, including YouTube, um, Apple, Spotify, and I do host it all on my website. I love it. I love it. And do you have any other final thoughts for everyone? My final thought always is just be more compassionate with yourself. You're not going to have all of this figured out. You know, walking away from diet culture takes courage. You mm -hmm. feel like you might be the only one until you find that community of people that are right there with you, giving you the head nod effect that feels so good. But in the meantime, be more compassionate with yourself. Take the time that you need to focus on you and what's best for your body. I love it. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I appreciate your time. And thank you for sharing everything about intuitive eating. Thanks for having me. This was a great conversation. Thank you for spending time listening to our conversation. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe, like, and share so we can reach more listeners with our powerful messages. And stay tuned to hear about our affiliates and recommendations. They change from episode to episode. Thank you for listening to this podcast and all our other podcasts on YouTube and Spotify. I would like to also shout out a couple of apps that have helped me and a couple of products that have helped me in my podcast journey. FUD. What the FUD is FUD? The FUD app is an app that connects you to those who need your business. There is something for everyone. Side hustles? Check. Coaching opportunities? Check audience check they have what you want and what you need within one place and they support you and your hustle or shall i say bustle debbie let me teach you how to debbie debbie is a natural energy booster they also make a hydration powder and they give you free gifts share this episode back to me at coleyscleaners at gmail.com and i will give you a savings promo code are you a coach a teacher, an educator, and you have wisdom that you'd like to share to others that you may not find on the platforms you're currently on, 
Follow me and this podcast on the Wisdom app.